you so much for being here. We have a good crowd. We appreciate your coming. To all the sister congregations that are here, thank you for coming. If you're visiting from the community, thank you for coming and being with us. We appreciate your presence. If I say anything tonight that you don't understand, at the back door, be sure to bring it up. We'll sit down and we'll study together. We want to go to heaven. We want to know more about our Lord, about that mansion that awaits us. Up front here, I have a good friend, Steve Turner, a fellow electrician. We studied together as apprenticed and became electricians. And that you might know there's a good Simons in the group. My brother Ed is here. His wife, Inez. Also, Ida Bell, Eddie Craft's sister. My mom, Billy. And my stepfather, Roy. Good to have them. Good to have you. Now, come back tomorrow night as we'll be considering the judgment. And then Wednesday night, what does eternity hold for you? Please come back, bring a friend or a loved one. Tonight we're talking about the resurrection of man. When I say man, mankind. And we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about that. In 1 Corinthians 15.35, But some man will say, How are the dead raised? And with what body do they come? Well, just because someone can raise some interesting questions that you and I might not be able to answer, I don't know all that's involved in raising an individual from the dead. It's amazing how God's going to be able to do that. Here's someone that dies out in the woods. Animals carry his body here, there, all over the place. But rest assured, God will raise him from the dead. What kind of body will we have? We'll talk more about that in a moment. I don't have all the answers, I'll be honest with you. A man said one time, Wesley... A big volume could be written on what you don't know. I told him he is wrong. It would take many volumes to write down what I don't know. But there's some things I do know from the Word of God. Now man is a threefold being according to 1 Thessalonians 5 verse number 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you're made up of a body, a soul, and a spirit. Now, we'll see that when man dies, according to the Bible, the body will go back to the dust of the ground. According to Ecclesiastes 12, verse number 7, the spirit will go back to God that gave it. And the soul will go to the Hadean realm. Now we'll get into the Hadean realm a whole lot more come Wednesday night. Now when Adam and Eve committed sin, they died both spiritually and physically. In Genesis 2, 16 and 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil 
thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, when they disobeyed God, they died spiritually. When God drove them from the garden and from the tree of life, they started to die physically. I'm a diabetic because I've been separated from the tree of life. Some people have heart conditions, cancer, other diseases because they have been separated from the tree of life. That's our problem. But the tree of life is in the paradise of God. If you and I will do what God says, we'll gain it back and we'll live forever. Now there's an appointment for you and you will keep it. Same way with me, the only exception being if we be alive when Jesus Christ returns. For the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You will die unless the Lord comes back during your lifetime. I will die unless the Lord comes back during my lifetime. And notice the Bible says, and here's the verse I made reference to a moment ago. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. And of course, Genesis 2-7 says that God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Wesley, you believe God just took and formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils and he became a living soul? Absolutely. You believe he really made a woman out of a rib? Yes, and he didn't even need the rib. See, God can speak something into existence from nothing if he so pleases. Now, for a few moments, we want to look at the Old Testament view of the resurrection, the afterlife. Now, they were more limited than what we are. But I want to show you that they believed that there was an afterlife out there. Now, when you look at Job 14, 14, Job asked a very important question. If a man die, shall he live again? Now, that's a good question. All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change comes. Notice, he believed it. He'd be changed. He believed that he would have a different body. He'd live in eternity. Here's a verse that's often used at funerals and so forth. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. A little baby was born. The baby was sick. The baby died. David, he prayed hard. He fasted, hoping that God would consider giving life to that little fellow. But in 2 Samuel 12, 23, but now he's dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Now David understood that he could go and be with his son, but he couldn't bring his son back according to what the Bible says. Now I want you to watch this prophecy. The prophecy of the Hadean realm in Psalm 16 verse number 10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. In Acts 2, we have this quoted. In verse 27, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, that's Hades, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. 
our, the body of our Lord to rot or decay. Then in verse number 31, he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Now, if you're studying with Jehovah's Witnesses, and they say, now you believe there's a hell where people will suffer forever and ever and ever? Absolutely. Well, if you believe that, then you're going to have to believe that Jesus Christ went to hell because that's what it says in Acts 2.31. No, that's not what it says. He went to the Hadean realm. That's what it says. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell. I know what part of the Hadean realm he went to because he told the thief today, Shalt thou be with me in paradise? See, we know that from the Word of God. But he wasn't there long enough for his body to see corruption. He was raised after three days. Now here's a verse we're all familiar with where the Lord established his church in Matthew 16, 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now oftentimes we'll quote that verse and say all of the evil forces out here in the world cannot do away with the Lord's church. Well that's true because the Lord's church is an eternal kingdom. We know that cannot be done. That's not what that verse is saying. Not at all. When it says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, the word hell is Hades. The Hadean realm could not keep Jesus in the grave, in the Hadean realm, to keep him from coming forth from the grave to do everything he said he was going to do, a part of which was to establish the church. So the devil didn't have enough forces to keep him in the Hadean realm. Now you know God told Abraham, go offer your son Isaac. We see people balk over baptism partaking of the Lord's Supper, being a member of the one church you read about in the Bible. All of these commandments are easy. Here's a tough one. How would you like for God to tell you go offer your child, your son, or your daughter? That's what He told Abraham. Notice what it says in Hebrews 11, beginning with verse number 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting, now notice what Abraham reasoned out. Accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure. Abraham, go offer your son Isaac. Abraham kind of scratching his head, saying, now if I kill Isaac, God said that through Isaac, the promised seed, the Christ was going to come. If I do that, I am convinced that God can raise him from the dead. Now that took tremendous faith. But he had that kind of faith, believing that God would do everything he said he would do. Boy, here's something. I want you to look at this. Now keep in mind, this is before the establishment of the church, before Christianity came on the scene, 
Lazarus dies. Jesus tarried that he might die, that he might go over there and raise him from the dead to the glory of the Father to make believers. And notice what the Bible says in John 11, beginning with verse 23. Jesus saith unto her, that's Martha, Thy brother shall rise again. Now watch Martha's view of the resurrection. It's amazing she's got this kind of knowledge. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She believed that. Now, I showed you how the premillennial people, those who believe in the thousand year reign, they got to have three comings of Christ and three resurrections. But the Bible says all of it's going to take place the same hour. I'll show you that in a moment. At the last day, according to what the Word of God says. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection. Now keep this in mind, folks. The resurrection is more than a day or an event. There's got to be a power behind it. Who is the awesome power behind the resurrection? When all cemeteries will be emptied, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. There's your power. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Now friends, you've got to get this. Oh, what comfort. If I drop dead right now, and if I'm a faithful child of God, I'm conscious immediately on life's other side, happier than I've ever been. I'm telling you, we've not told the story about the beauty of death. I've often thought, you know, I'd like to be alive when the Lord comes back. Then I think, man, I'd hate to miss death. What an experience. To miss death and not be able to go through death. I believe that will be one of the greatest events a child of God has ever experienced in his life. When you read Luke 16, 19 and following, when Lazarus died, he got an angel escort out of here. Man, if you'll think about this, what comfort for the child of God. If I'm conscious when I'm dying, I want to think about all my friends I got over there that's waiting on me. As I get older, I'm gaining more friends over there than I got here. Think about all the white oak people that I've known that's gone to eternity. They're waiting for us. I used to love the way Joe Kerr would make the announcement when one of our members would die. Joe would get up and say, well, brother so-and-so beat us. He's over in paradise. He's won the victory. That's right. That's the way you and I need to look at death. I want to be thinking about, I'm fixing to get out of a world of temptation and sin. I'm fixing to get well. See, if I'm dying, my body's sick. I'm fixing to get well. When I take this last breath, I am well. I'll never be sick again. And I'm fixing to see angels that's going to give me an escort out of this place. Oh, precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. Now you think about that. We need to look at death a little bit differently than we look at it. Oh, here's a major problem, folks. 
When you obey the gospel of Christ, your soul is redeemed, but not the body. Romans 8 addresses this problem. How that the body needs to be redeemed. The Bible says in Romans 8 beginning with verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature. That's the body. Waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. When we'll all be raised we'll have that wonderful body. For the creature, the body, was made subject to vanity, to sickness, to death. Not willingly. The body didn't volunteer for that. But by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. That inner man now has subjected that body unto hope that it can be changed into a glorious, glorious body. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. We'll get to 1 Corinthians 15. You'll see that's where we're headed. Into the glorious liberty of the children of God when we got that glorious body. For we know that the whole creation groaneth. Everybody in the world is groaning because they're sick, they're in pain, they're dying. And travaileth in pain together unto now. But see, notice, not just them. Not only they, but ourselves also. Christians are groaning. They're getting sick, they're dying. Which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Watch this. Waiting for the adoption to whip the redemption of our body. Oh man. The soul's been redeemed. But the body is dying. And God says it too will be redeemed. It's going to be subjected unto hope. Watch this. We're saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth. Why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. All of us are with patience are waiting for that new body. Now, notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse number 35. But some man will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool! That which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. Now he's going to use the analogy of a seed being planted. You take a corn seed, a grain of corn, plant it in the ground. You water it. The outside of that seed's got to decay and die so it can germinate. And then the body that comes forth, the stalk, doesn't even look like the seed. He's going to make that argument right here. Notice. It says. And that which thou sowest. Thou sowest not that body that shall be. But bare grain. It may chance of wheat. Or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body. As it has pleased him. And to every seed. His own body. So every seed has got to decay on the outside so that inwardly that life can germinate and bring forth life according to what the Lord is saying here. All flesh is not the same flesh. There is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fish, another of 
birds. Now, not all flesh is going to be changed into that glorious body. All flesh is not the same. This flesh, this body, has been made in the very image of God Almighty. Now he's going to talk about celestial and terrestrial bodies. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. And one star differed from another star in glory. Now here's the point, as we'll see in a moment. This body here is glorious. It's been made in the very image of God Almighty. But that spiritual body that we're going to receive is more glorious. Both bodies have glory, but one is superior to the other. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Notice, it is sown in corruption. It decays. It rots. It is raised in incorruption. Never be sick again. No more pain. No more sorrow. It is sown in dishonor. It wore out. It is raised in glory. Never wear out again. It is sown in weakness. It was diseased. It was battered. It was beat up. It died. But it's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. This body here. It is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Both are glorious. But one is more glorious than the other. Now this I say, brethren. That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This old body right here is not going to heaven. That's talking about the eternal phase. We can forget it. We're not taking this with us. Neither does corruption, a body that decays, inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Now I want to make this point. I made it yesterday, but I want to make it again. We teach because the Bible teaches that miracles have ceased. If I get an arm cut off right now, there's nobody to come up here and put it on. When the Lord walked the face of the earth, when Peter cut off the ear of Malchus, the Lord just bent down, picked it up, and put it back on. Nobody living can do that today. Nobody. But that does not mean that you and I do not believe in miracles. We believe every miracle recorded in the Bible. We believe that God made a woman out of a rib like we said a moment ago. Man out of the dust of the ground. Jesus walked on water. Jesus raised the dead. Cleansed the lepers. Gave sight to the blind. Hearing to the deaf. He did all those wonderful things. But now he says miracles have ceased. But to show that God has not lost his wonderful miracle working power, one day you, everybody here, will participate in a miracle. If you're dead, you're going to be raised. If you're alive, 
The verse right here says it. You'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Think about that awesome power and what will take place and what you will experience one day based on what the Word of God says. So when this corruptible shall, be, shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Now, the only way you can lose, according to these verses, by dying, is to die in sin. That's the only way you can lose. Everybody that dies in sin is a loser. They're going to spend eternity in a devil's hell based on what the Word of God says. But I want you to notice, and here's something you need to understand as a member of the body of Christ. And the strength of sin is the law, the last part of verse 56. There's not a human being upon the face of the earth that can keep law perfectly. I have seen members of the body of Christ miserable. Because they think they got to keep the law of God perfectly. Well, you might as well give up. You can't do it. Now, my wife loves to laugh. And I love to see her do it. I've seen her laugh until tears would literally run down her face. And then she'd get me tickled. I'd laugh at her. Now, if you want to see her laugh, you ask her this question. Is Wesley a perfect husband? Now, she'll laugh you out of this auditorium. But then ask her this one. Is Wesley a faithful husband? And she'll say, oh yes. He's a faithful husband. Not perfect. You can't be perfect in the sight of God, but you can be faithful. You can love him, and you can put him first in your life based on what the Word of God says. But now notice as we go on. The sting of death is sin. See, that's the only thing that's going to hurt you. You die in sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. Where do we win this victory? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well then, Paul, in view of the fact that we are going to be raised, we're going to have this glorious new body, what do you suggest? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Man, if I'm going to get that new body, if I'm going to be able to be with God in all eternity, I need to be busy about the Lord's work because my labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's the beauty of all of this. Now, I want to show you the last enemy that's going to be destroyed according to the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26, then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered, delivered up the kingdom to God. Now set up the kingdom. The kingdom's already here, and we're in it. Even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign. See, he's reigning now, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is the battle of Armageddon. No, that's what the denominational world tells us. No, it's death. 
Death is the last enemy that's going to be destroyed when the Lord raises all of us that have died from the grave. And now listen to this as we talk about the resurrection. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that in the grave shall hear His voice. Did you hear that? Not ours as those who teach the thousand year reign teach. A resurrection here, a resurrection here, a resurrection here. No. The hour, singular, the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. The resurrection is going to occur at the same hour for the good and for the bad. That's what the Word of God tells us. Now here's a scary thought. I don't know whether you ever considered this or not. In Matthew 10, 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Those who are raised from the dead that are ungodly will get an immortal body. But it will be destroyed in a devil's hell. That is, it will lose its state of well-being. We'll be tormented in all eternity. Think about having a body that will last forever. And all it's good for is to be tormented forever and ever and ever because of the way you lived while you were here upon the face of the earth. That's a scary thought. You and I better think about that seriously. Now what's the second coming and what's going to happen when the Lord returns, you know, we've said quite a bit about the Hadean world. Now, like I say, Wednesday night, we'll get into that in detail. Watch what 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning with verse 13 says. But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those that are dead, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Think about that, folks. All the people in the Hadean world, both in Paradise and Tartarus, Jesus is bringing back. They're conscious now. John Kennedy is just as conscious now, more so than he's ever been. Abraham Lincoln, the Apostle Paul, they're conscious in the Hadean realm. The souls are there. The bodies aren't. The bodies have been buried. But the Lord is coming back with these precious souls. And notice what's going to happen. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Shall not prevent. And that word mean, means go before them which are asleep. In other words. If I'm alive when the Lord returns, I'm not going to go before those precious Christians and saints that have died through the ages. He's going to bring them back. He's going to raise them to ground level where we'll be changed and together we'll be called up to meet the Lord. Now notice what the Bible says along that line. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. First before what? Before everybody will be called up in the air. 
They'll be raised. Those living will be changed. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, read the word of God for yourself. You won't find any room in any of this for a thousand year reign on earth. It's not there. But preachers, denominational preachers are making millions of dollars off of stuff that's not even in God's word. We challenge them on our radio program. Call in and prove it. Jesus said some of you standing here will not taste of death until you have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Mark 9.1 We have begged them to call in and just tell us do you agree with Jesus or do you not agree with Jesus? Jesus said that the kingdom was going to be established during their lifetime. Now boy you're talking about something beautiful. We asked the question a moment ago. What kind of body are we going to have? Watch this. In 1 John 3 beginning with verse 1 Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Think about what a privilege. And that's what it's saying here, just to be called a son of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not. It won't recognize us. Why? Because it knew him not. It wouldn't recognize the Lord. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. What's my body going to be like? Well, it doesn't appear yet. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Think about having a body like our loving Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, a body that won't get sick, a body that won't know pain, a body that cannot die, a body that's immortal, incorruptible. That's what we're talking about. That's the beauty of this. Now, look at this. This is talking about the no more, so to speak, that we're going to experience. In Revelation 21, 4 through 5, speaking first of all of deliverance from the Roman oppression, but a secondary meaning according to Revelation 7 of heaven, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Now you can mark that down, underline it, and triple X it. That's the way it's going to be. When you go to heaven... You know how many funeral homes you're going to see? Not a one. You know how many hospitals? Not a one. You know how many jail houses? Not a one. What, what a beautiful scene. You know, we sing how beautiful heaven must be. Boy, and you're talking about the truth. That is the truth of the matter. But now if my body's going to be changed and I'm going to be like the Lord... And you're going to be like the Lord. The obvious question is raised. Shall we know one another there? I know a man in Bristol, Tennessee. That's even contemplated suicide. A member of the church. Because he's scared to death. That once he dies. 
he and his darling wife Ruth won't know each other on life's other side. Man, he, I've sat down and talked with him. I've read him scripture after scripture. I've pleaded with him, trying to get him to see what the Bible says. And I want you to notice what the Bible says. In John 14, 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I, that's Jesus, go to prepare a place for you. Well, since he's preparing a place for me, will I be me once I get there? Absolutely. And if I go and prepare a place for you, that's me, that's you, well, will we still be us once we get there? Absolutely. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. On the Mount of Transfiguration, in Matthew 17, 1 through 3. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, that's Elijah, talking with him. You know what? The disciples knew who they were. I don't know how they knew that. But they knew that. Our precious daughter that died was teaching the little ones. And one of them said, well, we know each other in heaven. And Candy said, oh yeah, based on what the Bible says, we'll know each other. And another little girl raised her hand and said, well, how will we know each other? One of the little ones spoke up and said, don't be dumb, we'll wear name tags. Well, I don't know how we're going to know one another, but we're going to know one another just like they knew Moses and Elijah. Let me ask you this. You think Elijah knew Moses? You think Moses knew Elijah? Absolutely. You better believe it. And they're still who they were when they were on earth, Moses and Elijah. Now notice this in Luke 13, 28. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. Now I want you to notice this was stated by the Lord in Luke 13. I want you to notice that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been dead for hundreds and hundreds of years. But the Lord said you're going to see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets enter into the eternal phase of the kingdom of God but yourself thrust out. Question. How are they going to know that it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? They'll know it. I don't know how they're going to know it. The Lord said they'd know it. The Lord said you'll see it. By the way, there are several scriptures, and this is one of them, that indicates the lost can see the saved. That's a scary thing. I would hate Judgment Day to stand there and see all of you enter into the kingdom of heaven and me being cast out into a devil's hell. That, that verse says that will happen. That these Jews will see that happen. That's a scary thought. Here's another one of those where you can see the lost can see the saved. In Luke 16, 22, 23, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Well, was it really Abraham? 
Did Lazarus really go to Abraham's bosom? The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham. Did he really see Abraham? You mean to tell me a man in Tartarus, where he's being persecuted and tormented for his ungodliness, can look and identify Abraham, but the rest of the saved that are there with him don't know who he is? I don't believe that for a minute. He seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Did he really see Lazarus? Could he recognize him? Yes. That's what the word of God says. By the way, did Abraham know that Lazarus was in his bosom? You better believe it. Now watch this. In Matthew 22:32, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You know what that says? They're alive right now. Isn't that a wonderful thought? They're just as, they're just as conscious as you are. By the way, back there a moment ago, I want to show you something. Let me back this up. Here you got a rich man that has died. He's laid his body aside. He's left his brain in the grave. I want you to notice, here's a man that can think without a brain. You don't have to have the brain to think. Now you do in this life. But on life's other side, you don't have to have it. Because your soul is the totality of you. Isn't that amazing? That God has so designed you that way and me that way that you can take the real me out of this body and I can still think in reason. I don't need the body. I don't need the brain. And yet, the real me that will be in paradise awaiting that incorruptible body when this body will be redeemed. Boy, when I put that on, you just think about what a glorious time that will be. So these people are alive. They're conscious right now. All right. If we know each other in heaven, what if our loved ones are not there? Won't this make us sad? I'm going to tell you what will make you sad. It will break your heart. What if we don't know each other in heaven? And we all make it. And we don't know where the other guy made it or not. I don't know where Jim made it or not because I can't identify him. Freddie Clayton, I don't know where he made it or not because we don't know each other. J.C. Watkins, I don't know where he made it or not. Think about how sad that would be. Man, you're talking about a bad situation. That's a terrible situation. Now, if I do not make it to heaven, who will be the saddest person there? The most disappointed person. God Almighty. Because of what He did for me, all the provisions He made for me, if He can take care of His disappointment, His sadness, guess what? He'll take care of Elvis. Be no problem. I, I'm convinced once you and I get to heaven and we truly see God and how great and brilliant He truly is. We will be totally convinced He does all things right, never makes a mistake. We ought to believe that now totally. And if one of our loved ones does not make it, it was fair, it was just, and it was right because God doesn't make mistakes. He's lovable, He's merciful, and if he could have shown any mercy at all to get him there, he would have done it. See, that's what we're looking at. 
Now, folks, the bottom line is, are you ready for this body to be raised or to be changed? Now, if you're not a child of God, you're not ready. If all of a sudden the Lord appears in the clouds and I'm not a child of God, but yet I get a body that's immortal. I get a body that's incorruptible, but yet it's going to be destroyed in the devil's hell. I'm going to lose my state of well-being and I'm going to be in pain and agony in all eternity. That's what's going to happen to people that are not ready. It's going to be just like nobody ever died for them. No blood was ever shed for them. But if you're a child of God, you're blood covered. And the only way you can be saved is to be blood covered. Covered by the blood of the Lamb. Well, how do you become blood covered? There's only one plan of salvation in God's Word. Not two. If there's two plans of salvation in God's Word, God is the author of confusion. There's just one. And the Bible says you've got to hear the Word of God. So then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You've got to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus said in John 8, 24, Except you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. And where I go, you cannot come. In Luke 13, 3, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. We've got to turn from sin. Give it up. Then in Matthew 10, 32, 33, Jesus said, If you will not confess me before men... I will not confess you before my Father which is in heaven. And then when that first sermon was preached on the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit led and guided men. When they were asked the question, Men and brethren, what must we do? Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jim and I went and did the program as he mentioned. And do you know the average religious group teaches you've got to pray the sinner's prayer to be saved? Nowhere in God's Word. If you're visiting with us and you believe that's the way you were saved, I'll be glad to sit down with you and we'll go through the Bible. It's not there. Now, are you going to be lost because you trusted in a wrong plan of salvation? A member of a man-made church? Jesus said, in vain do they worship me. Teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. Mark 7, 7. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many, look at that word, first word of verse 22 in Matthew 7. Many, many, not a few, will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, cast out demons in thy name, done many wonderful works in thy name, and then will I profess unto them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. The Lord says judgment day. There's going to be a whole lot of religious people there that thought they were saved. Only to find out they were lost. Please don't be in that group. Be a member of the one church you read about in the Bible. Obey the one plan of salvation that's in the Bible. For God is not the author of confusion. Well, are you ready for that body to be changed? Are you ready for the second coming? If not, why not obey right now? If you're a member of the Lord's church and you're unfaithful and you know you're not ready, why don't you repent, come home, let us pray with you and for you as together we stand and sing.